following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to have you here at the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, and I hope you'll enjoy yourself because uh, I sure do enjoy having you. Uh, I'm sitting here with my uh, back with my geek in the background. Victor. No, I'm not. I'm sleeping. <laughs> uh, but he's doing all of the technical stuff. So uh, we hope you like what you hear. And if you do, uh, there's there's three ways that you can listen to us live. Um, you can listen to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Facebook and YouTube, it's Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? And um, with on Twitter, it's at Blind Whose, B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E. Or if you um, prefer, you can catch the arts podcast or the afternoon radio theater Sunday ice cream Sunday podcast, and you can catch it uh, just about anywhere you have a broadcast a podcast. The only one that I know of that you can't get it on is uh, Audible. So maybe someday, but. Uh, it's the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday podcast, S-U-N-D-A-E, like an ice cream sundae. Today, I'm going to be doing, oh, um, if you want to write to me with comments, I knew I was forgetting something, uh, comments, suggestions, or uh just anything, uh, you can write to me at Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S U N D A E, at gmail.com. That's Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday, S U N D A E, at gmail.com. Today, what I'm going to be doing for you is Johnny Dollar, or yours truly, Johnny Dollar. He was one of my favorites. And there was a ton of people that played him. I don't have them all listed here, but uh, like Dick Powell, um, Edmund O'Brien, uh, Charles Russell, and uh, Bob Bailey. And uh, Bob Bailey was my favorite, actually. I, I liked him doing Johnny Dollar better than anybody. But there again, that's just my preference. I think when I first uh, got into listening to old-time radio, he was, uh, uh, when I first got into listening to Johnny Dollar on the old-time radio, he was the one that I heard the most. So that's probably why I like him the best. But, uh, and of course, Dick Powell 
bless his heart. I like him too, but he is, um, no matter, it seems like no matter what show he's in, he, he has to flirt. He has a girlfriend because he does, he does uh, Richard Diamond too. And uh, he's got a girlfriend in that one. Um, but now we'll get started. Uh, shoot, I forgot the name of the first one. Let me go. <laughs> I, I think I need to go to bed and get up again. Okay, the name of this one is Milfred Brooks III. And this guy, he tries to scam the insurance company out of $2 million. So um, kick back, enjoy the show, and I'll see you when it goes off. Broadcasting System presents a thrilling new adventure series starring Dick Powell. I'm an insurance investigator. My name is Johnny Dollar. What? You heard me, Johnny Dollar, and I can pad an expense account with the best of them. Yep, I'm a freelance insurance investigator, and I live in Hartford, Connecticut. At least that's where I pay rent. My work sees to it that I really live anywhere, except at home. If you're interested in buying me Christmas presents, I take a size 42 suit. Shirts 15 and a half, collar, sleeve length 33. My hat size is 7 and 8, except when I wind up a successful case. Then it runs about 7 and 3 eighths. At insurance investigation, I'm just an expert. But making out my expense account, I'm an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Austin Farnsworth, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the investigation of Milford Brooks III for your company. Expense account item one. Cab fare to your office in answer to your original call, 75 cents. Tip to driver, one dollar. Expense account item two. Shoe shine, 25 cents. You'll remember I got my shoes scuffed when I unsuspectingly walked into your private office. No, you must get out of my way, Hans. Dollar! Get out of my way from that window! Don't jump! Hey, you, you! Hey, oh, 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 no, 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 you don't! Let go of me! Let go of me! Oh. No, no, there are better ways of making a big splash in life. Get away! Well, nice try, Sonny. Now pay attention to teacher. Oh, oh, I didn't know I had it in me. Oh. oh, goodness gracious, Dollar. Did you have to hit him so hard? I hope you haven't killed him. He isn't too strong, you know. Uh, don't worry. There. Oh. Now, now, Mr. Farnsworth, would you mind telling me 
On whose head have I the dubious pleasure to be sitting? Uh, that, sir, is Milford Brooks III. His policy with this company is in the amount of two million dollars. Wow. Yes. And the boy seems bent on committing suicide. Dollar, I want you to stop him. Uh, what do you want me to do? Threaten him with death? Anything, anything. The conditions of his policy are such that we would be forced to meet with the claim in the event of his suicide. Oh, I say, Dollar, sitting on his head that way, aren't you in danger of smothering the boy? Smothering him doesn't worry me, but these crew haircuts don't make very comfortable cushions. I'll move down a little. Now, there. Okay, okay. So far, I know this kid is insured for two million and that his policy pays off on suicide. What else? One half hour ago, Milford Brooks walked into this office and changed the beneficiary in his policy. Uh -huh. Then, sir, he proceeded to demand, not request, mind you, but demand a loan of $500,000. Quite a touch. When I explained to him that there were no provisions for a loan in his policy, he threatened suicide. Which would cost you $2 million. So all we have to do is keep him alive, huh? And he's managed to make that no small problem. His choice of a new beneficiary is downright frightening. One of the most notorious gamblers in the East. His name is Hatcher. Uh, Harold Hatcher. Ouch. Oh, do you know him? Sure. That kid's been a post office pen-up boy for a lot of years. Well, that's the situation. I'm engaging you to protect Milford Brooks' future. Dollar, I want you to protect the boy. Uh, give him something to live for. You know, an interest in life. An interest in life? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's see... Um, oh, I know here. This should help. What's that you got there? Well, it's what's commonly referred to in the more successful of bachelor circles as my little black book. Oh. Well, now, let's, uh, let's see. Hmm? Hmm. Ruby? No, no. Her favorite expression is about dead. Uh, Bernadine? Hmm, no. She'd be the new beneficiary by midnight. Oh, dear. Now, here, here. Here's the one. Butter. Say, Farnsworth, would you mind passing me that phone? The one with the long cord? Oh, no, no. Oh. I still, Buster. Oh. My little friend here is showing signs of life. Here, here you are. Maybe you should let him breathe a bit more. Ah, don't worry, don't worry. He'll be all right. Hello. Oh, hello. I want to call New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hudson, 24292. Dollar, you're not thinking of taking this boy to New York, are you? Well, I'm going there myself. You want me to keep an eye on him, don't you? Now, don't fret, Farnsworth. All is not lost. You do worry me, sitting on his chest that way. Hello? Hello, oh, Butter? Oh, this is Johnny. Yeah, I'll be in town tonight. I want to see you. And look, here's what I want you to do. Yes, yes, it's all right to say over the telephone. Yeah, I want you to reserve a table at the hatchery in my name for 10 o'clock tonight. Will you do that? Okay, I'll see you at your apartment in a few hours. But, honey, I can't make it any earlier. I'm sitting up on a sick friend. Okay, goodbye. I'm not sure that I agree with your methods. Huh? Ow! What's the matter? Uh, did he hit you? Hit me? He bit me. Expense account, item three. Liquor, $18. Keeping Milford Brooks III peaceful seemed to be the immediate problem. And a bottle of rare old brandy seemed to be the immediate answer. I poured most of it into him, and by the time he started to tick again, he'd gone through the unusual process of going to sleep sober and waking up enchanted. I loaded him into my car, and we headed for New York. As we passed through New Haven, he opened one eye, looked up, saw the Yale Bowl, and gave three cheers for old Eli. Ray, Ray, Ray. Oh, old Yale would sure be proud of you. 
anybody but want to insure you for $2 million is more than I can figure. Uh, my daddy loved me very much. And my mother loved me very much. Now, that's nice. And not only that, but I love somebody very much. And not only that, but I hate somebody very much. That's interesting. You know something? Next to one other guy, I hate you more than anybody else. Oh, here, lover boy, it's a cocktail hour again. Time for your bottle. Rolling along the Merritt Parkway, I felt very much alone with my thoughts. And believe me, they weren't very pleasant company. The way it stacked up for me, Brooks had built up a fat gambling debt with Harold Hatcher and had been forced into making him his beneficiary. The suicide threat that he was holding over the insurance company was a little tougher to figure, unless he was trying to finance a trip for himself to get away from the man with a murder motive, Hatcher. My hungry little mind nibbled away on those unsavory morsels of food for thought all the way to Butter's apartment. Where are you taking me? I want to go to New York. If you don't behave, Buster, I'll punch your ticket. Johnny, darling, welcome to New York. Well, that's the fastest trip I ever had. Quiet. Well, where did you find this? In a box of Cracker Jack. Let us in, dear. I don't know about you. Some men bring me flowers, some bring me candy. What do you bring me? A boiled owl in a Brooks Brothers suit. Pleased to reach you. Now, let's trot him into the bedroom, honey. You'd look more at home in the bathtub. I need to pull down the cup. All right. Now, come on, Buster. Lie down. Charm, charm, charm. Oh, that kid's liquor sure can hold him. How long have you been playing nursemaid to this bottle, baby? Get behind that bar, sweet, and I'll tell you all about it. Sure. Horrible examples don't seem to bother you, do they? If you knew how that guy has been bothering me. What did he do to you? Well, let's just say he put the bite on me. No. Gosh, the river sure does look pretty tonight. Bourbon and soda? Now, please. Anything but brandy. I've been sniffing that second hand all the way from Hartford. Butter, see that big boat out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I sure would like to be on it. With you. Sailing off to faraway romantic places. Get with it, darling. That's the 125th Street Ferry. Oh. Here's your drink. Come on, now. Tell Butter all about it. So, friend Bourbon and I proceeded to tell her all about it. It wasn't easy. Everything about her kept flagging down my train of thought. The longer she looked at me, the less I wanted of Milford Brooks the third, and the more I wanted of beautiful Butter the first, and only. She was a sympathetic listener to my story until I gave her the answer to her first and only question. And where do I fit into all this? Well, baby, I thought you understood. My job is to give this poor, misguided boy something to live for. That's you. Well. Mm. Now, honey, hold everything. Don't go getting your corn all popped. You, you misunderstand. I really mean it. I thought if he'd just got to look at you and realize that things like you exist, why, you'd make any man glad to be alive. Oh, come on now, butter. Melt a little. I wouldn't let anything happen to you. You know that. Did I hurt you? Oh, no, I'm getting used to it. People have been taking pokes at me all day. I'm sorry. Ah, that's better. You want some more bourbon? Uh-uh. 
I want some more you. Well, help yourself. It's getting late. Let's uh, make this the last drink. Mm. What time is it? Oh, it's uh, it's uh, twenty to ten. Oh. My reservation at the hatchery is for ten. Here. Thanks. Cigarette? Oh, empty. Some more out in the other room. I'll get them. I'd love to get you on a slow boat to China. Johnny. Oh, I'm coming. He's gone. What? Well, he can't be. But he is. The window's wide open. Oh, the fire escape. What a smart guy I am. Trading three drinks of bourbon for two million bucks on the hoof. Oh, that's the biggest bar check I ever picked up. That's a big bar check for anyone to pick up. As a matter of fact, it's a bigger bar check than you've ever heard of anyone picking up before. And that should give you an idea of what to expect in the second act as you follow this new CBS series starring Dick Powell in the title role, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Well, nobody could say I wasn't working fast. I'd only been in town for an hour and I'd already succeeded in losing Milton Brooks III. I spent another hour of his all-too-short life expectancy unsuccessfully shaking down the neighborhood for him. And then, feeling very much like a bloodhound that had flunked his sniffing exam, I went back to Butter's apartment. No luck, Johnny? Oh, sure. Plenty of luck. All bad. Is there anything I can do to help? I'll kiss for luck. Mm. What are you going to do? Nothing. Just a little phone call. Police headquarters. This is Johnny Dollar. Give me missing persons. Any particular one? Now, don't be a wise guy. Lieutenant Fisher. Yes, sir. Lieutenant Fisher. Fisher, this is Johnny Dollar. Hello, Dollar. Who'd you lose? One man, my mind, and if I'm not careful, my professional reputation. The guy's name is Brooks, Milford III. Got anything on him? Hold on. All right. Don't look at me like that. It wasn't all my fault. Dollar? Yeah? We haven't found him yet, but we think we know where he is. Huh? The Hudson River. At 11.15 tonight, his top coat, complete with identification, was found taking a ride on the 125th Street Ferry. Oh. Anything else? Uh, nothing much. A package of matches was found under the coat, monogram. Uh, you don't happen to know anybody whose initials are H.H., do you? H.H.? Yeah. There's always Horace Height. Uh, thanks, Fisher. I'll check back with you later. I'll be here. H.H. Mm, Harold Hatcher. Mm. What are you mumbling about? Bad news? Mm, looks like about two million bucks worth. They uh, found Milford's coat on the 125th Street Ferry. <laughs> you and your faraway romantic places. <laughs> Very funny. I'll see you later, honey, and maybe about 11. Expense account, item four. 
nightclubs. $28. Harold Hatcher's hatchery was in a cellar under a hotel, but the prices were high enough to raid a penthouse. The club was draped in too much satin, its lady customers in too little. The decor was French provincial, the music was Brazilian, and the food was from Dixie. The drinks looked weak and the waiters looked strong. All in all, the joint was a sight for sore eyes, for making them sore. The only pretty thing in the place was a blonde. She came strolling up to my table, her hips unconsciously sending subtle little messages back to the rumba band. She opened her mouth, slid her tongue over her lower lip, and let a few warm, soft words slide out. Looking for someone? Well, you'll do until the real thing comes along. Sit on. Thanks. I won't have a drink. Well, I didn't ask you. My name is Janelle. Janelle? Mm. Wow, that's a nice name. I understand you were asking about Mr. Hatcher. Well, I asked if he was in. The waiter said he wasn't. Do you know him? More than somewhat. What do you want to see him about? A mutual friend, Milford Brooks. Uh-huh. I know most of the quiet clothes boys around here, so you want a cop. You don't look like the type that would be a society friend of the Brooks family. So what are you? Uh, I'll ignore that. Is Hatcher around? He might be. Well, then come on. Where's his office? The top of those stairs. Can I expect any trouble getting in? You won't have any trouble. How do you know? Because Harold sent me down here to look you over. Oh. I think you're all right. So I won myself the good housekeeping seal of approval, huh? Keeping a house with you would meet with my approval. I ran for my life at a slow walk up the stairs. When I located the door to Hatcher's office, I knocked once and went in. Come on in. Thanks. So I'm Johnny Dollar. I was hired by East Coast underwriters to protect the interest of a kid named Milford Brooks III. Now, what's that supposed to mean to me? You know him, don't you? Well, he isn't exactly one of my boozing buddies. How much money does he owe you? Yeah, we've got him on the books for a few bob. Why? They picked up his top coat tonight on the 125th Street Ferry. He wasn't in it. It might have been suicide. It might have been a knockover. It made it look like a suicide. What's your choice? What do you get off asking me about my choice? Where were you between 11 and 11.30 tonight? What's it to you? I thought you might like to rehearse some answers. The law will be asking some questions real soon now. I don't know why I should tell you, but I was driving around in my car getting some air. Oh, now, you'll have to do better than that. They found one of your match folders under Brooks' coat. You're out of your mind. Let me ask you. The kid owed me a couple of hundred thousand. You think I'm going around knocking off my own assets? Hatcher, I, I don't know whether you're stupid or bright. Don't worry about it. I know. What about that insurance policy? What insurance policy? Now, look, Hatcher, we're big boys. We both know that changing a beneficiary in an insurance policy is a legal transaction. That means witnesses. That means it isn't secret. What are you talking about? But you and East Coast underwriters and I know all... All know that Brooks made you the beneficiary in his policy and that you stand to come into two million bucks when they fish out his body. I don't know anything about it. Motives don't come much bigger. I'm telling you, this is all news to me and you and nobody else is going to make me move off that story. I feel the same about mine. It doesn't take a genius to know that Brooks didn't love you two million dollars worth. There's only one logical reason for his making you the beneficiary. You forced him into it. Who'd believe anything else? Who cares? They'd have to prove it. Brother, that can't be done. Now, how would you... Yeah. Okay, Rocky, thanks for the news. Take the inspector into the bar and buy him a drink. I'll be right down. Dollar, did you turn me in? They're here, huh? Yeah. No, I didn't turn you in. I'm not a cop. Well, come on. 
Maybe they just want to sell me some tickets to the policeman's ball. For a guy in a hot spot, Hatcher was certainly a cool customer. I followed him out of the office, down the stairs, and back into the club. Janelle was sitting there right where I'd left her. And I thought to myself, now there's a gal who should never sit down. She looks so pretty standing up. Janelle, buy Mr. Dollar a drink. I have to go play 20 questions with some fellas in the bar. Sure, baby. Anything you say. Anything. I'll see you, Dollar. Yeah. How'd you make out? Well, you can never tell about a guy like that. He's a smart boy. Strong, silent type. Wouldn't talk, huh? A real close mouth act. About what? Oh, just a little doodad. Two million dollar life insurance policy. Wait a minute. A young Brooks kid? That's right. I knew it. Tried to tell him he'd get into trouble, but he wouldn't listen to me. Oh, you knew about it, huh? I suppose you also know what was behind it. Sure, Milford owed him some money. A lot of money. It's in writing. What kind of writing? It's a personal note that Brooks was going to get back if he made Harold beneficiary. Well, where is this note? Do I look like the kind of girl who'd put the finger on her boyfriend? You look like the kind of girl who'd do anything if she wanted to. Thanks. I'll give you a slight hint. It's in his office. You'll find it in the inside pocket of one of his suits in the wardrobe. What are you waiting for? I'll watch the bar. Nothing, sweetheart. Nothing at all. Whatever her reasons, Mr. Harold Hatcher's little female playmate was trying awful hard to send him up on a murder rap. And I was going to try awful hard not to let her down. Back in Hatcher's office, I found myself alone in a room with a telephone. And being a guy who can never resist a free call, I unleashed the magic wonders of the AT&T. This better be you, Johnny Dollar. Shh, quiet, Butter. I've only got a few seconds. It seems that's all you ever have for me. Now, if you... Now, look, Angel, I... Angel, just another hour. I'll get you a nice present. I don't care if you're another century. And as for presents, the last one you brought me was a drunk. And you even let him get away from me. Good night. Life presents a gloomy picture ever downward toward the tomb. Having wasted those few precious moments of an already misspent youth, I decided I'd get on my pony before Mr. Hatcher showed up. I found Milford Brooks' personal note in one of Hatcher's suits, all right. As a matter of fact, I found something in all his suits. A great big glimmer of light. Expense account, item five. Taxi fare, ten dollars. I left the office in a hurry, Janelle at her table and Hatcher at his bar. I got out of the club and into a taxi parked a half block down the street. There I waited until my favorite suspect left the hatchery and piled into another cab and off we went. On a chase that would have made Ben-Hur look like a plowing bee. We skittered over to Lexington and headed uptown. At 72nd, the cab turned right and pulled to a stop. My driver was on his toes, and his toes were on his brake. We stopped, too, half a block behind. You want us to wait, huh? No, here you are. Keep the change. Hey, thanks. It was a garage that belonged to a residence on a parallel street a block away. The living quarters upstairs were dark enough to look interesting. I indulged in a bit of genteel breaking and entering. Entering that old barn didn't take much breaking. I crept up the stairs. It sounded like they were left over from an old ghost story. 
And so did the first voice I heard when I stopped halfway up. We've got to be careful, especially about that Johnny Dollar. Are you sure he didn't follow you? That voice sounded awfully dry to be coming from a guy who supposedly had spent most of the night snoozing in the bottom of the Hudson River. It was Milford Brooks III. Get up on your feet, Brooks. But now, wait a minute, I... I started this thing slugging you, and I might as well finish it the same way. Leave him alone. Now, pull in, pull in the claws, Angel. And sit on his lap. Too hard for it. I'll kill you. Get off of me. Huh? I should have known better than to get mixed up with a low-class female like you. Why, you thought... Now, hold it. We've pushed the lady around enough, Brooks. Tell me to be careful, will you? Why didn't you think of that before you let him here? Wipe your nose, little boy. Now, don't you go getting fat-headed, gorgeous. I'm only interested in one thing. Saving the insurance company $2 million. And, Buster, I think you've done it for me. Dollar, I... This is insurance fraud. It has been ever since you put on that fake suicide attempt. Trying to extort 500000 bucks out of the company. Dollar, wait a minute. Ah, come on. We're leaving. You heard him, Dollar. Harold. Fletcher. He said, wait a minute. He wants to talk. Yeah, everybody wants to get in on the act. How did you get here? When the police in this town think maybe a guy's jumped off a ferry boat and nobody's seen him do it, they check the counters on the turnstiles at each end. In the case of Brooks, as many people got off that boat as got on. Well, it makes sense. They'd hardly hold a guy because somebody lost a topcoat. Huh? How did you know we were here? You know me, baby. You never go anyplace I don't know about. Okay, Brooks, you felt like talking. Now I feel like listening. Get it up. Why? I don't know what you mean. I know what you mean, Hatcher. One, he gave you a big, fat $2 million motive for murder. And two, he did his best to make it look like you did murder him with that broken-down match cover plant on the ferry boat. It's just that simple. And you, baby? Harold, please. You put him up to it, didn't you, you cheap little muscler? Trying to get rid of me, will you? No, Harold. Now, calm down, Hatcher. You don't need any gun around here. They're tame. Well, maybe I'm not. Since so many people have gone to so much trouble to hand me a nice, easy way to make $2 million... Maybe I'll just go ahead and make it. I'll show these amateurs how these things are really done. Come on, Brooks. How'd you like to go for a nice, cool, half a ferry boat ride? No, Hatcher. No. Look, it's her fault. I'll give you anything you want. You're wrong, Sonny boy. You're going to give me everything. No. No. You can't. Let me out of here. Brooks bolted for the door. Hatcher snapped a shot at him. And I hit Hatcher with a door die tackle from behind. The gun flew out of his hand. No, you don't. I beat him to it and swung it straight into his skull. Half the people were lying in the room bleeding. Brooks from gunshot, Hatcher from gun butt. And Janelle and I both stood there panting. Ah, but believe me, not for each other. We stood that way until the police arrived. It's beyond me. I sent you out to protect the life of a very important policyholder. And now where are we? Standing in a hospital corridor, worrying about whether he's going to live or die. As far as I'm concerned, Mr. Farnsworth, you're only half right. I'm just standing in a hospital corridor. Dollar, you're heartless. If you'd been bitten where you bit me, you wouldn't care if you'd lived or died either. I'm getting out of here. Well, where are you going? It'll be explained in my expense account under miscellaneous expense. Now, don't fall over when you come to an item for $318. $318? For what? Not for what, Farnsworth. For whom? For whom?
expense account total. And it all adds up to a little matter of $1,182.23. Which you may say, Mr. Farnsworth, is a lot of money for one man to spend in two days. But you must bear in mind that the amount at stake was $2 million. And you know the price of stake these days. It might comfort you to know that I just returned from the hospital. Brooks was strong enough to make a full statement, which you will find enclosed. This in itself should prove sufficient to establish evidence of attempted fraud against your company, allowing you to immediately avoid his policy. It uh, boils down to one sentence, to wit. Brooks and Janelle wanted to get rid of Hatcher so that they could live happily ever after. Knowing those two, they never had a chance. And oh yes, that, uh, <laughs> that miscellaneous item, the one for $318... It, uh, it was a bracelet for a certain party who made this special investigation for me very special. Oh, if you want a receipt for this item, I'll send you a lock of her hair. Yours, uh, mm, truly, Johnny Dollar. with the final signature on his expense account, Dick Powell as Johnny Dollar has just closed the books on his first adventure in this new CBS series. Be sure to tune in again next week when the expense account covers Special Investigation Singapore, another unusual adventure starring Dick Powell in... Truly, Johnny Dollar. I have to say, I don't know if those amounts were real or or just arbitrarily fake. Uh, because I don't the most know. the most I ever paid to get into a club was like. 15 bucks and that was tip included i'm telling you yeah he paid 28 for crying out loud either he's real stupid or or, or he's got money to just throw around anywhere i sure i sure wish i well, did it wasn't his money he charged the uh the insurance company the insurance yeah company, yeah it <laughs> oh, was uh, I... awfully funny it sure is hot down here in Dixie. Is it hot up there? Uh, well, it's actually a nice spring day out here. Well, you lucky son of a gun. Mm-hmm. I, but, you know, I was just going to say, if I had been that guy and uh, Johnny Dollar was sitting on my chest like that, I'd have bid him back there long before he got around to it. I wouldn't have waited. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Um, this next one is called, uh, the Robert Perry matter. And it's about a guy who gets killed by an alarm bomb. Well, actually kind of what happens is they, somebody pages him. And as soon as he starts to go where he's paged to go, uh, a bomb goes off and kills him. So. 
kick back and enjoy it. And I tell you what, if I could, speaking of a Sunday today, I would love to have a Reese's Blast from uh, Sonic. Uh, my Aunt Paulette and I, we used to get those as often as we could, too often, um, for somebody who was almost diabetic and for somebody who is diabetic, I shouldn't have had them at all, but I, I break the rules all the time. So, I mean, I don't constantly break the rules, but I do break them. And um, so anyway, it's, this next one, it's called the Robert Perry matter. So kick back and enjoy it and I'll see you in a few minutes. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, American Continental Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures fulfilling your assignment as a, uh, a bodyguard. The body being that of your late policyholder, Robert W. Perry. Expense account item one. Fare on night train, Hartford to New York, $3.80. Expense account item two. $1.80, taxi to Lower Manhattan the following morning. Two offices, Perry and Van Bruten, importers, arriving as promised at exactly 9 a.m. Yeah, my name is Johnny Dollar. I have an appointment with Mr. Perry for 9 o'clock. Oh, yes, from the insurance company. Well, you're right on time. Yeah, they told me I'd better be. Mr. Perry just came in. He's alone and waiting for you. I'll buzz him that you're here. Thanks. was left of your policyholder, Mr. Perry, was just sliding out of his swivel chair as I hit the room. The top of his desk had erupted, and splinters of mahogany pointed their sharp fingers upward through lazy circles of smoke swirling toward the ceiling. The buzzer from his secretary's desk had been rigged to a booby trap. Oh, oh no, Mr. Perry. Stay away from him. There's nothing you can do for him. He's dead. Oh, what happened? What happened? Whatever happened? Come on, we, let's, let's get back out of here. Sit down. I'll get you a drink of water. There you are. Now, just drink this. What happened? We well, you had an explosion. I turned in the alarm. Is anybody hurt? There's a doctor on the third floor. Should I call him? Never mind the doctor. Call the police. And nobody gets in here until they arrive. Now, the rest of you, go on, beat it. Run along. And turn off that alarm. Okay, miss. Now, just take it easy. But it was all so sudden. What happened? Well, that's not too hard to figure out. Somebody wanted to give your boss, Mr. Perry, a shortcut through life. So whoever it was 
figured out that his secretary would never buzz her boss unless he was at his desk. They rigged up a bomb somewhere in his desk that would go off when you buzzed him. Oh, but... But I killed him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't get hysterical on me. There's excitement enough around here, and there'll be plenty more when the police get here. Keep cool. But I did it. You saw me do it. Look, the way you put it, I killed him by coming in here and giving you my name so you'd buzz him. Drop it, will you? I'm sorry. Now, uh, what about yesterday? Was he here? Yes, all day. What time was it when you last used the buzzer? Wait, right up to the last minute, about 5.30. Uh, who left the office first, you or Perry? Mr. Perry, he always leaves first, and I lock up. Looks of things, you should have used more locks last night. Somebody got in here to do some wiring. Uh-oh, I forgot that fire alarm. All that equipment and no fire. Look, before the police arrive, do you know why I was sent here? Yes. Mr. Perry recently felt that his life was in danger. He thought that, well, with a $100,000 policy, the insurance company would do everything they could to help keep him alive. Well, we didn't have much of a chance, did we? What was he afraid of? I don't know. Okay. What were his other appointments for today? He only had two. His partner, Mr. Van Bruten, at 11, and then... One at a time now. Van Bruten. Anything special about their meeting? Yes. Mr. Van Bruten arrived just yesterday from Holland. You mean there was a branch of this firm in Holland? Yes, and Mr. Perry was buying out Van Bruten's interest. They had their final meeting at Van Bruten's hotel last night. Oh? Van Bruten was coming by this morning to pick up his money. Uh, cash? No, a cashier's check. The bank is to deliver it here at 10.30. Now, quick. Perry's other appointment. Who was that? Christine, his wife. Oh, yeah. Now Christine, the beneficiary. Yes, but she wouldn't have been the beneficiary in another two weeks. They were getting a divorce. Thanks for the motive. You don't like her? I didn't mean it that way. How about Perry? Did you like him? Okay, well, here's an easy one. What's your name? Susan. Susan Gates. Now, isn't that about enough? Okay, Susan. You'd better save your voice. During the next few hours, you're going to have a lot of talking to do. Oh, here come the firemen, and we haven't even got a child to ask them to save. Where's the fire? I'm looking for a fire. Just stick around. When the cops get here, somebody will get burned. The firemen should have stuck around because the cops arrived in a blaze of glory. It was a very high-class investigation. Two lieutenants. Finally, after about an hour, the police photographer ran out of flashbulbs, the office of the deceased ran out of fingerprints, and the lieutenants ran out of questions. So the on-the-scene phase of the investigation was closed. At about five minutes of 11, I left the police to pack up their notebooks, their clues, and the body, and went into the outer office. Susan looked like she could use a big, broad shoulder to weep on, but unfortunately, I was wearing my light gray suit. About then, a dark blue suit and a deep green voice entered the room from the corridor. Say, there's some fella out here who says he belongs here. His name is Van Bruten. Shall I let him in? Oh, what do you think? His name is on the door you just opened. Oh, indeed, now. Well, my name happens to be Murphy, and it's on beds all over the country. But that don't mean I'm stuffed with feathers, does it? (laughs) This'll teach you, Johnny Dollar, never to cross tongues with an Irishman. (laughs) Okay, send him in, officer. All right, you can come in. The policeman out there. Is that trouble here? Oh, I am Bremer van Bruten. Where's Mr. Parrott? What? He's waiting for me, no? No. But my appointment... He's not keeping any. He's dead. Dead? This is impossible. Last night I saw him. He was well. What happened? He was hit by a buzz bomb. A buzz bomb? Please. Oh, sorry. I forgot other people aren't used to these things. You mean 
That was foul play. Very foul. Please, may I sit down? My first visit in all these years since before the war. It was to be so happy. Now, tragedy like this. He was a good man, a good partner. I understand that as of last night, you were no longer partners. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I realize, of course, that it is indelicate to speak of such things as money at a time like this. Now, that is why I'm here, to receive my payment. Oh, just because Perry got his, there's no reason for you not getting yours, huh? But you misunderstand me. I am deeply grieved. Since the transaction was consummated, what is there to do? A delay would be a needless waste of money. I have already paid for passage back to Amsterdam tomorrow. Your check is here, Mr. Van Bruten. Here you are. Thank you. In all my years of business, this is indeed the saddest moment. Yeah. Yeah, those are very kind words, Van Bruten. And I'd believe them if your eyes would stop counting all the zeros on that check. <laughs> Expense account, item three. Ninety cents. Phone call to your company. American Continental Life Insurance Company. Good morning. Oh, uh, well, that's a matter of opinion. This is Johnny Dollar. Put me through to Mr. Gordon, will you? Yes, sir. Mr. Gordon's office. Look, honey, this is Johnny Dollar. I want to speak to Gordon. Oh, and uh, while I'm telling him what I've got to tell him, maybe you'd better sit in his lap with some smelling salts. I'm not that type of a secretary. And besides, he doesn't have a lap. Hello, Dollar. How are you making out? I owe about $100,000. Yeah, somebody turned Mr. Perry into a firecracker. He's dead. Oh, that's bad news. It's a big policy, you know. Yeah. Look, what I want to know is, shall I stay on the case? Oh, certainly, Dollar. Certainly, by all means. By the way, is there, is there a chance of uh, proving suicide? There's a non-payment clause. To make this one a suicide, there'd have to be a Santa clause. Nobody could hate himself enough to do it this way. Well, what are the fraud possibilities? Uh, only fair. There's an estranged wife. She's the beneficiary, but uh, she wouldn't have been in a couple of weeks. Divorce coming up. I'll start with her. Uh, all right, Tyler. Good luck. But watch those expenses. Why, Gordon, I'm surprised. I think an insurance man would be the first to want to see a fellow live a little. <laughs> Expense account, item three. Cab fare, $2.80. Tip to driver, $1.00. Christine Perry's apartment was on Sutton Place, overlooking the river. And from what the doorman told me, all of the proprieties. I took the elevator up to the 24th floor, and there I discovered that our garden-fresh widow was living high in more ways than one. Everything about the place was French. The maid that led me into the living room, the decor, and the perfume, which reminds you that breathing can be fun. I looked up from enjoying my nose to see Mrs. Perry looking down hers. Mr. Dollar? Oh, Mrs. Perry. I believe we can dispense with any getting acquainted. You're an insurance investigator, interested in the death of my husband. So naturally, you're here because you've jumped to the conclusion that I killed him. Oh? You're the one that's jumping to conclusions, lady. Then what do you want? The policy's in order, the premiums are fully paid. I'm not quite sure. I know that you've got a great motive. So far, the only motive I've found. You haven't had much time to look, have you? Check. This is my first stop. Maybe you can help me. Do you know anyone who would be happier with your husband out of the way? I know very little about my husband's friends. Or for that matter, his activities for the past six months. That's when I left him. Uh-huh. Well, that's not much help for either of us. 
Well, without someone else to suspect, I may just have to concentrate on you. Mr. Dollar, I picked the men I want to concentrate on me. Well, I hope you're as long on alibis as you are short on your temper. Where were you last night? With a friend, Al Donovan. For a while, the same place my husband was. And I have witnesses to prove it was with him. Anybody at the Club Caprice can tell you. Well, save me a trip. I can't afford the prices they get there. Certainly, pleasure. My husband was with his beautiful little secretary, Susan Gates. Well, I wouldn't be more surprised if your late husband walked through the door and said that... All right, mister, that's enough. Oh. Yeah. How, how much did you I'm hear? a big guy, baby, six foot four, and I've got big ears to match. Oh, please. Would this be Mr. Donovan, your companion of last evening? I'm getting you out of here, Christine. I don't know what you're saying. You lie to me. How can I help you if you lie to me? You call me stupid. The way you're playing this, you'll alibi yourself right into a cell. I'm getting you out of here. What are you doing to me? Are you crazy? Come on. She's right. You are stupid, Donovan. She was doing just fine till you dropped in. Mister, you've been asking a lot of questions. Now I'll give you one answer. All right, Christine. So much for the wise guy. Now about you and your alibi. You wasn't with me at the Club Caprice last night. And if it's so easy to prove your husband was there with his secretary, who were you there with? You told me you were going with your husband, talking divorce, remember? When Al measured me for that swing, I measured my chances with him. To me, he looked like one of the corporate assets of Murder Incorporated. So I rolled with a punch, hit the floor, and stayed there, with my eyes closed and my ears opened. What I heard was Christine's alibi flying out the window, Mr. Donovan giving her a few loving cuffs, and finally the pair of them flying out the door. I allowed myself the luxury of a 20-second massage on the new lump on my jaw, and then I got up and started out after them. This case was becoming interesting. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, this important message. Sixty million dollars is what the Red Cross needs to carry on its great work in 1949. If this seems like a lot, just try to review briefly the various activities of the Red Cross. It can't be done briefly. Red Cross services extend into every area of our lives, bringing care, comfort, and recreation to the men in the armed forces, bringing first aid training, nutritional programs, nursing services, blood banks to our own communities. And all the time... As these activities go on uninterrupted, the Red Cross is holding itself ready to spring into instant action in case of disaster. Fire, flood, explosion, any sort of catastrophe finds the Red Cross on the scene with food, clothing, and medical care. Sixty million isn't so much in the light of such activity. We can make it with each of us contributing. We're giving to our own safety, security, and peace of mind, and to our neighbors, too. So let's give generously to our own Red Cross. And now back to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I hit the street just in time to see Donovan pushing Christine Perry into a cream-colored convertible. When they got rolling, I piled into a cab and followed them, and the chase was on. At 57th and Broadway, things got complicated. My cab was three cars behind theirs when a red light flashed them to a stop. Then the door of their convertible flew open. Christine jumped out, dashed across the street, and down into the subway. Since Donovan didn't follow her, I followed him. 
When he finally pulled to a stop, he took two chances. He parked in a no-parking zone and walked straight into the building beside it, a police station. This is Mr. Dollar, Lieutenant. He's been waiting for you for some time. Huh? Well, you can wait outside, Sergeant. Okay, sir. My name is Johnny Dollar, Lieutenant. Here are my credentials. Hmm. Insurance, huh? Yeah, the uh, Perry murder in particular. Hey, you've come to the right place, Dollar. A man named Donovan just walked in here and made a full confession. He what? That's right. My clerk's just typing it up. In the meantime, the gentleman is down in the tank having a bite of lunch on the city. He confessed. Does his story add up? As far as I know. I haven't heard too much about the case myself. It's not in my precinct. What did he use for a motive? Jealousy. Says he's in love. Wanted to marry Perry's wife. Uh, Did he say how he managed it? Yeah. He stole a key to the office from the wife's apartment, entered the building last night, and wired a bomb to the buzzer system. Uh Uh-huh. Well, guys do a lot of strange things in the name of love. Yeah, looks like Donovan did. Yeah, he either killed a man, or he's trying to cover up for someone who did. Well, listen, don't uh, execute him for a couple of days. How, Lieutenant? I spent the rest of the afternoon downtown in the offices of Perry and Van Bruten, importers. The partner's correspondence told me two things. They had been extremely friendly, and uh, Van Bruten was extremely bald. Perry had been sending him toupees from a famous Hollywood makeup firm. At 4.30, I opened the drawer marked Employment Files. They rocked me with two minor explosions of their own. The folder marked Donovan Albert J. told me that he'd been employed as Perry's bodyguard over a period of years, and that he was canned the day before the murder. Before I received blast number two from the folder of Perry's secretary, Susan Gates... The office door opened behind me. Well, Mr. Dollar, you're supplied with a search warrant, I hope? Just the one I was born with, Mrs. Perry. The kind they say kills cats. You know, curiosity. What are you looking for? I found it. How about you? What are you doing here? Oh, I... I'm tired of dueling with you. I'm here because I want to... Well, I've got to talk to someone. I called your hotel, you went there... I tried to locate Susan, but I couldn't, so I thought maybe you'd be down here. What's the basis of our sudden friendship? You should know. Al Donovan's confession. The newspapers have it already? Yes, but there's not a word of truth in it. He didn't kill my husband. How do you know that? Because, why, why it's impossible, that's all. Yeah, it was a little hard for me to swallow, too, when the police told me about it. But since then, it's become a little more digestible. What do you mean? I just learned that he was your husband's bodyguard. He was fired yesterday. That same day, your husband calls his insurance company screaming for another bodyguard. Now, how would that add up for you? A beef, maybe? Al Donovan's a fool. He never thinks. He just rushes in and says he does whatever's on his mind. He told my husband if he didn't divorce me that... Well, he threatened him. Now, you came in here saying that Donovan's confession was no good... And you spend your time making it sound better and better. What do you want, anyway? I can't help it. I, I've got to tell you that... I know it doesn't sound like I'm trying to help Al, but what can I do? You really want me to answer that? Here. If you want to help Al, phone the police. Tell them Donovan made that phony confession to cover up for you. It's simple. Not as simple as that. 
You don't need the gun, Christine. Hang up the phone. Sure. I hope you don't mind my aversion to being held for murder myself. Oh, well, that's a common aversion. I'm in no hurry to see you behind bars. But don't forget, when the cops want to pick you up, they'll do it. Now, don't spoil the rest of the afternoon. Take that gun someplace else. I've got things to do. The first I imagine will be to call that I wouldn't make. Well, not necessarily. If it'll make you feel any better, we'll just put this phone out of order. Satisfied? Of course not. But don't get me wrong, Mr. Dollar. I wish you nothing but success in your investigation. I puzzled over that exit line for a few seconds after she'd gone. And then I went back to the company's employment file. Namely, the application for employment as secretary of Susan Gates. It informed me that during the war she had worked in a munitions plant. Her specialty... Wiring bomb fuses. When Miss Susan Gates reached home at 8.30 that evening, she found a visitor, me. Oh, how did you get in here? A professional secret. Oh, you scared me. What do you want? Why did you come here? I wanted to bring you the good news. I uh, heard on the radio that... Al Donovan confessed to Perry's murder. Al? I can't believe it. Why not? Who do you like for the spot? Why, Christine. Al is covering up for her. I'd like to agree with you. If it turns out that Christine wound up her husband's life with a bang, the company that hired me saves $100,000. But I don't know. She claims she has all kinds of alibis. One of them is you. Me? Yeah. Did you see her at the Club Caprice last night? Why, yes. I know who you were with, your boss. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I'm not preaching a sermon. I want to know who she was with. I don't know. A man I'd never seen before. Mr. Perry knew him, but he wouldn't tell me who he was. Why not? I don't know. He said I might get the wrong idea. About what? I don't know. We didn't sit there and talk about it all night. Why should we sit here and talk about it all night? All right, all right. When a census taker shows up and asks a lot of questions, people answer them. When an investigator tries to do his job, they make the proverbial clam look like a blabbermouth. Look, Mr. Dunn, believe me, this has been a greater shock to me than to anyone else. Excepting, of course, your late employer, Mr. Perry. How long did you work for him? Four years. Now, where'd you work before then? Why, I... I... Let me help you. Bombs, wiring fuses, remember? All right, I remember. Good. Then maybe you'll remember a little bit more. Let's go back to last night. The guy with Christine Perry. Who was he? I tell you, I don't know. Was it Van Bruton? I don't know. You don't know? No, I mean... I'll get that. No, I'll go. You make sure you just don't keep going. <laughs> Susan! When Susan snapped the spring lock to open the door, the gun outside opened up. The first slug caught her in the left shoulder, spinning her out of the way of the rest of them. It was getting monotonous. Every time a buzzer went off, things started booming. Susan was sprawled out on the floor in front of the door. And to open it, I had to move her. By the time I did, the hallway outside was empty. Okay. Come on, take it easy. It won't start hurting for a couple of minutes. I'll have a doctor here by then. He'll give you something. Now, just try and keep calm. Here, I'll throw my coat over you. I'll try not to move. Oh. Trying to ruin this rug. Never mind the rug. What we want to worry about is who tried to ruin you. 
What'll they do to me? What will who do to you? They'll arrest me. No, they don't arrest people for getting shot. Do you have any idea who it was? That man in the office this morning. The one who picked up the check. Van Bruton? No, no, he wasn't Van Bruton. He was a phony. Yes. And you still gave him that check? Yes. Well, I won't ask you why. But apparently you gave him the money and then tried to blackmail him. Is that right? They'll arrest me. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Who is this guy? Where can I find him? <gasps> Come on, now, don't pass out on me now. His name, quick. Vincent. Where does he live? Nelson Hotel. Under his own name? Oh, I don't. I don't blame you. I could use a few moments of unconsciousness myself. The Nelson Hotel didn't have a Dutch name on the register, so I got a hold of the housekeeper and found out how many rooms her staff hadn't been able to make up all day because of do-not-disturb signs on their doors. I went a-calling at these particular rooms. On the ninth floor, I awakened one old maid. On the seventh, I startled a bunch of poker players who thought they were being raided. On the fifth, I blushed my way out of the bridal suite. And on the fourth, I struck the door of 427 and the jackpot. Who's there? Don't you see the sign? I do not wish to be disturbed. Oh, sorry, I must have the wrong room. I started up the hall after the fire axe, but when I got to it, I changed my mind. One of the few things I'd learned about this guy, Van Sant, was that he loved to murder people through doors. So I decided against trying to chop his down. Then I remembered the way those people came pouring out of those offices earlier in the day when they heard that fire alarm. So I picked up the little red hammer next to the big red fire axe, broke the little glass window, pulled the little brass hook, and set off a big brassy noise. Then I rushed back to 427. Fire! Fire! Where's the fire? Right here in my eyes, sweetheart. You, why you come here? You wish you hadn't. Never mind the dresser. You're, sh- you're through shooting guns for the day. Oh. What do you think, Vincent? You want to try some more? You cannot make me stay here. The fire, we will all die. You look good barbecued, but I'll make a deal with you. You talk. And if I like what I hear, I'll show you how to get out of here alive. How do I know this? Well, you don't think I'm going to stay here and fry, do you? And if you don't start flapping that tongue in a hurry, I'll probably just tie you to a chair and run. First, where's Van Bruton? You will find him in the bedroom. He better be alive. He's out cold. What's the matter with him? He will be all right. He's on the sedatives. Where did this identity switch start? You better hurry up. I smell smoke. I knew Van Bruton in Amsterdam. I knew about the sale of his interests. And I knew that the girl in the office here had never seen Van Bruton. Well, let's go now. Now, don't get up. I can feel it getting warm in here. The firefighters. We will be saved. Now, don't be too sure. They always start at the top floor and work their way down. Come on, I can hear those flames crackling. You know the rest. Last night, when the transaction was all finished with Perry, I gave to Van Bruton some sedative and his cocoa. You set up that bomb so Perry'd get it before you showed up to pick up the check. Yeah, I told you that. Then it happened that girl didn't know I was an imposter. I don't know how. Well, let me tell you. She's been sending old Van Bruton in there two pays for the last four years. Gray ones, my red-headed friend. Oh, yeah. Let us get out of here, no? Yeah, out. Oh! <laughs> Ex- 
Expense account item four, a dollar forty. Night letter informing you that American Continental would have to meet payment of claim to Mrs. Christine Perry, innocent widow of the insured. The only thing she was guilty of was trying to stay on the right side of a hot-tempered boyfriend. <laughs> she lied about who she was with at the Club Caprice, not to fix herself an alibi, but to keep Al Donovan from learning that she'd been out with another guy. That guy being the real Mr. Van Bruten, who had only taken her out to try to talk her into reconciling with his friend, her husband. Item five, sixty dollars silver chafing dish. Wedding present for Christine and her new husband, Al Donovan. Well, that was the least she could do for the guy who had confessed to a murder he thought she had committed. Item six, eight dollars flowers for Susan Gates, prison hospital. Item seven, fine for turning in false alarm. One thousand dollars and no cents. And that's what I think I'm beginning to get for getting into this racket. No cents. Expense account total, $1,263. Yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's Johnny Dollar Adventure. But first, this reminder. Just a little earlier tonight on CBS, Jack Benny turned dramatic actor on the Ford Theater. But this Sunday, he'll be back again on his own show with a special treat for the Jack Benny fans. After the last broadcast on which the Ronald Coleman's appeared, thousands of letters came in from fans asking that Jack invite Ronnie and Benita back again soon. The Waukegan wit did. And Ronnie and Benita, by popular demand... Return to the Jack Benny program this Sunday in what should result in one of the most hilarious broadcasts of the year. So be sure to listen to Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman on the Jack Benny Show, which is heard on all CBS stations this Sunday. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd, with music by Mark Warno, and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now see the... The prices there were a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think it's funny that uh, on all of the episodes that I, that I picked, uh, I assume that that's still Dick Powell, but it didn't say it at the beginning at the beginning of each one. So, um, no, it said it at the end, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm gonna, but they sound so alike, though. Who, well, the actors playing Johnny Dollar sounds so alike. Well, they no, now Bob Bailey doesn't sound like Dick Powell. Oh, really? No, uh uh. I thought this guy, the guy who played him here, sounded exactly like Dick. 
how well almost he was it was i believe he was but i'm and i'm just saying that uh if you hear, hear Bob Bailey, he doesn't sound like Dick Powell. Yeah. Um, but this next one, um, you women might like it pretty good. <laughs> huh. uh, it's about this uh, woman and she and her lover plot to kill her husband. It's called the Perikoff Policy. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a half hour trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. <laughs> Expense account submitted by investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the investigation of the Paracoff policy for your company. Expense account, item one, plane fare to Benton, Ohio, $40.04. Expense account, item two, plane fare, Benton back to Hartford, $40.04. Explanation, purchase two one-way tickets instead of saving money by purchasing one round trip. Because of the type of case I'm usually assigned, I never press my luck by buying round trips. This time, I was almost right. Expense account, item three. Cab fare airport to Valley Hotel, $2.20. Tip the driver. Gee, a dollar. Well, naturally. There'll be steak on the table tonight. Welcome to Warfare City. Hey, Dorman. Hey, yes, sir. What can I do for you, sir? Bring my bag inside, will you? Over here. Donna. Always. Good evening, sir. Hello. Do you have a reservation for Johnny Dollar? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Dollar's in his room. He checked in about 8 o'clock. What? I guess I ain't the man I used to be. What room is he in? Oh, sorry, sir. I'm not permitted to tell you that. I can call. Oh, no, never mind. Let me have an envelope, will you? I'd like to leave my card for this Mr. Dollar. Uh, yes. Here you are. Thanks. Here, just pop this in his box. The clerk popped the envelope into box number 207, so I popped myself into an elevator going up to room 207. I'd come to Benton to investigate a murder, and in just a matter of minutes, I found myself ready to commit one. Hey, yes? Uh, who is it? A bellboy, sir. A package from Hartford. Uh, uh, just a minute. What kind of a package? Special delivery! Come on, get up on your feet. Oh, it's safer down here. Now, take it easy. You must be Johnny Dollar. Sometimes strangers in a hotel room can be a lot of fun, but not when they're men and not when they're using my name. What's your angle? Now, listen, Dollar, I can explain everything. It better be good and it better be fast. I didn't want to be seen waiting for you in the lobby, and it's important that I talk with you before anybody else does. That's why I'm here. I'm Eric Barker. Oh, the defense attorney in this Karakoff thing, huh? Well, I hope you're better at defending your client than you are at defending yourself. Well, whether my client goes to the chair or not, unfortunately, has nothing to do with my being a good lawyer. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Well, I suppose this is one time when the attorney won't mind relinquishing the floor. Why don't you get up on your feet? Oh, thanks. Thanks, I will. 
I'm no coward, Dollar, but if either one of us is going to get any place on this case, we'll have to work together. I need your help, and I need it badly. Sorry, I do a single act. Oh, now, uh, don't be hasty. I can help you, too. Just how much do you know about the Parakoff murder? Well, I know it's one of the screwiest cases I've ever run into. Beneficiaries are knocking off insured people all over the country, but not here in Benton. Oh, no. Here, they tell me, the insured man knocked off the beneficiary. And now I've got the jolly assignment of trying to keep the state from executing the insured man. My employer, East Coast Underwriters, isn't anxious to see $100,000 of their money burn up in the electric chair. Well, at least we're both stuck with the same tough job. Look, I'll tell you the few things that I already know, and you fill it in from there. All right. All I want to know is, is that Parakoff was shot to death, and that his business partner, your client, Harlan Wolf, was picked up making a quick trip out of town as being held for the murder. What have they got on him? Only what they found on him. And it's enough. The murder weapon. Any witnesses? One. Parakoff's widow, Marsha. An eyewitness. Murder weapon and an eyewitness. It seems, at least at first glance anyway, that the state of Ohio will be receiving a large electric bill one day soon. Any chance of my seeing Wolf? No, not before he's indicted. Oh, great. Dollar, Holland Wolf shot Parakoff in self-defense. There was no premeditation. I'm convinced that I could get him off with a second-degree manslaughter verdict. That is, I could, if it weren't for the tactics of the prosecution. Oh, what's that? Well, they not only have intimidated my character witnesses, but they also have suborned their own to perjury. That's the sort of thing I'm up against. Well, as the insurance companies keep saying, never say die. Where can I find the widow Parakoff? If they aren't holding her in protective custody so nobody can question her, she may be at home. Uh, that's uh, 1375 96th Street. That's a lot of figures. By the way, how's hers? <laughs> Expense account item four. Cab fare to home of murdered man and the girl he left behind him. Two dollars and forty cents. I shivered all the way out to the suburbs, but not from fear or anticipation. Just a simple case of summer shorts in red flannel weather. The Parakoff place was obviously the product of a good income and a bad architect. It looked like a great big wedding cake, and Mother Nature had mercifully iced the confection. The front walk was white and untrammeled as the driven snow. As a matter of fact, that's what it was. Three inches of it, which meant that Marsha hadn't had a visitor in the past couple of hours. I was playing detective, and somebody inside was playing the radio. So I played Peeping Tom and loved every second of it. I couldn't see her face, but she had a lovely profile. I hastened to the door. Ouch! Her hair was red and her eyes were green. Her hair stopped you cold and then her eyes gave you the go signal. Yes? Would you mind saying that yes for later? I beg your pardon? I've come to ask your help, and I hope you'll say yes. You see, my name is Johnny Dollar, and I've been sent to Benton to investigate the death of your husband. Say, what is this? Has it turned into a federal case? Oh, I'm, I'm from the insurance company. Oh, come in. All right. Uh, where can I put my coat? This snow is melting all over your carpet. Let it melt. Just throw your coat any place. Okay. Hmm, good shot. Come on in by the fireplace. Nice and warm. Oh, I should have brought some chestnuts. I could have followed her with my eyes closed. She headed for the living room, leaving a pathway of perfumed air behind her. 
And I didn't waste a breath of it. Hmm, that's nice perfume. Sit down. Thanks. If you can stand a compliment before we get down to business, you certainly do furnish a room. Oh, you like it? Most of the things are just reproductions. Not the things I'm talking about. Oh, you mean me. Uh-huh. <laughs> a happy surprise. I expected to find someone fatter and fortier. My husband was. Now, what about his insurance? Oh, you've got me wrong. I'm, I'm working for the company that insured the man being held for the murder of your husband, Harlan Wolf. What do you want from me? Just the story of what happened. Oh, well, that I can't do. The district attorney had a long talk with me about it. I'm not supposed to say anything to anybody about it until the trial. Well, I'm not asking you for any state secrets. I just want you to save me a trip down to the morgue. Oh, don't be so brutal. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were still in mourning. That negligee confused me. Anyway, I'm at the newspaper morgue. That's what they call their files. You gave them a story. Why won't you give it to me? I told you, I can't. Okay, so I wasted your time. Oh, wait a minute. You aren't leaving. Well, you aren't cooperating. Oh, sit down. I'm going crazy in this house alone all the time. Can't we find something else to talk about? Sure, later. But first things first. Well, all right. Well, I don't see how it could be wrong to tell you what's already been in the newspapers. Oh, go on. Well, all right. Harlan Wolf and I were here, in this room, alone. We were discussing business. Business? Business. The Highland Coal Corporation. My husband was its president. Harlan is the secretary-treasurer, and I'm the vice president. I can't resist this, but... You know, your kind of businesswoman makes this anthracite heart of mine feel very bituminous. What? Oh, well, I don't get it. Let it go. So you and Wolf are sitting here talking about your coal business. Yes. And then my husband came home. And no doubt accused you and the secretary-treasurer of putting in too much overtime. Is that it? Oh, yes. Oh, it was terrible. They fought, and finally Harlan ran over to the couch over there and pulled his gun out of his overcoat pocket and started pulling a trigger. Who called the police? The neighbors? No, I did. Well, that's all there is to it. Well, that's all I wanted to know. It didn't hurt, did it? No. Now, uh, how about using those big shoulders of yours to throw a log on the fire? Well, sure. I'll go outside and get one. Oh, there are logs in here. Uh Uh-uh. I'd rather have one that's a little damp. They burn slower. Oh. Well, then while you're at it, Get a big one. I left Marsha gazing into the fire, called a cab, and stepped out into the cold night air to wait for it. I went down the front walk with my mind on what lay behind me instead of what was ahead. Hey, Donna. Out of the white snow loomed two very large blue police uniforms completely filled. Get out of this Parakoff mess, Dollar. Matter of fact, get out of this town. Why, officer? I'm just beginning to like it here. This is from the top that makes it official. We got the guilty man. We don't want any trouble. Well, you go back to the top and tell them that this is one sure way of getting trouble. They told us how to answer that one, too. I did my best. My best to break every one of the Marquis of Queensbury rules. I knew I was fighting a losing fight, but I was fighting for a little time, and that's all I got. Their fists never stopped, and my head began to feel like a ping-pong ball in a four-handed game. Suddenly, things looked up. Me, flat on my back in the snow, seeing stars. 
And then a boot came flying toward my head and switched off all the little pretty lights. All America is taken to Sing It Again, CBS Saturday Night Show of Fun, Frolic, and the Fabulous Phantom Fortune. By telephone, listeners all over the nation are asked for their answers to the rhythmic riddle songs. Popular songs with new lyrics, hiding the name of a movie star, radio star, or man about town. A right answer to a riddle, and the listener gets a crack at Sing It Again's Phantom Voice Fortune of $24,500 in prizes. It's a sensational session of music, suspense, and prizes. Don't miss Sing It Again tonight over most of these same CBS network stations. Maybe you'll sing to the tune of 24-5. And now back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account item five. Nickel supplies bonded. Seven dollars. And here's something I'll give you for free. A handy help for your regularly employed insurance investigators. When I find myself overwhelmed in a brawl with unknown assailants, cops included, I do my best to take away more than just bruises and contusions. During my career, I've picked more pockets than a rack boy in a pool room. And I added one more to the score during the brawl in front of the Parakoff house, just before I went bye-bye in the snow. Hey. Hey, hey, mister, wake up. Come on, wake up. You'll catch your death of cold. Oh. You call a cab? Yeah, I think so. Holy smokes, your face. Was you robbed? What's the matter? Isn't it there? Huh? Oh, here, come on. I'll, I'll give you a hand. Thanks. Holy smoke, when I first seen you laying there, I thought you was a snowman tipped over. How do you feel, cold? Forevermore, I shall look kindly upon the haddock in the deep freeze. Huh? Hey, hey, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a wallet. You lose it? First I found it, and then I lost it. Oh, here it is. Come on, let's get out of here. Where to, Mr. Police Headquarters? Oh, no. Over my dead body. Expense account item six, breakfast and bed, $2.40. Expense account item seven, photographic work, $6 for taking pictures of contents of wallet I lifted from the police uniform the night before, which I sent to you, dear East Coast underwriters, for safekeeping. Expense account item eight, 70 cents cab fare to office of Evan Byron, district attorney. Item nine, tip the driver, $1. Sorry to have kept you waiting, dollar. Good heavens, man. What happened to your face? Found Mrs. Fault? Yeah, but I got a flash for you. Not by person or persons unknown. Oh, splendid. You wish to prefer charges? Half right again, but not for felonious assault, and not against the guys who gave me the going over last night. Now, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. They were two of your harness bulls. But I don't want to waste time listening to you deny it, so forget it. I don't have the slightest idea what this is all about, Dollar. I said forget it. I want to talk about something more important. You're holding Harlan Wolf for the Parakoff murder. Now, what I want to know is, when are you going to hand down your indictment and what it's going to be? First thing in the morning, first-degree murder. Anything else that you want to know before I have you thrown out of here? Uh, yeah. How do I get mixed up in these rhubarbs? <laughs> Expense account, item 10, five cents. Phone call to my partner in despair, attorney for the defense, Eric Barker, who agreed to lend me a set of police photographs of the scene of the crime. 
They arrived at my hotel room just as I was leaving it to eat. And when I looked at them, I lost my appetite. According to the X's marking the various spots, Tarakoff and Wolf had been standing face to face in the middle of the room when Wolf decided to punch Parakoff's ticket with a few 38 caliber perforations. According to the photographs of the corpus delicti, all of the steel-jacketed forget-me-nots had gone banging straight into the right side of Parakoff's body. I set up an appointment to meet Barker at three that afternoon and decided to make the most of the time in between by seeing what kind of a trade I could make on that wallet I picked up during the winter sports of the night before. The name in it was Ben Arnold. And the address is disreputable. I don't want any brushes. Well, what a coincidence. I'm not selling any. What do you want? I'm looking for Ben Arnold. Who isn't? He promised me he'd be home by now. By this time, I should know better. Well, I'll wait. Outside. Inside. Hey, wait a minute. Ben won't like this. Well, that makes it even. I don't like Ben. Look, I don't want any trouble. Okay, don't make any trouble. What do you want here, anyway? Well, let's just say I dropped in for an unfriendly visit. If Ben finds you here, it'll get real unfriendly. Ain't that face of yours marked up enough? Well, that mouse hanging under your eye isn't exactly a beauty mark. Ben really spreads his blessings, doesn't he? Ben had really spread one blessing right there close in front of me. It was a small room. About the size of a large closet, with the clothes sprawled high and low, making the whole place look like a collapsed clothesline. And there, hanging on the back of the door, was Ben Arnold's police uniform. My eyes popped out, pushed one of its shiny brass buttons, and rang the bell. There, like little love letters on the brass, stood the initials CPD. And CPD were never the initials of the Benton Police Department. Thanks for seeing me so quickly, Barker. Oh, Dollar, you're up. Good Lord. What happened to your face? A couple of police uniforms with overstuffed shoulders did this to me last night. There you are. I warned you that we're up against a bunch of ruthless people. Something should be done about it. Using the police force to beat up anybody who stands in their way. No, Barker. They're wearing uniforms, but they weren't police. I'm a... I'm afraid I don't follow you. Barker, can you give me one good reason for a Benton cop to be wearing an out-of-town uniform? And don't tell me they got mixed up at the cleaners. Out-of-town uniform? Yes, and here's another one. If the law enforcement setup here is so rotten, why would they go to all the trouble of dressing up an outsider to do their muscle work? I don't know. What I mean is, did they? Why? Who else would do it? It certainly couldn't have been Marcia. Why not? She isn't exactly hard up for a motive... If Wolf goes to the chair, she collects his insurance money. Not only is she the widow of the original beneficiary, she's also vice president of the coal company. Any way you look at it, she's a secondary beneficiary. But why should Wolf admit to the shooting? He has nothing to gain and his life to lose. Look, Marsha told me that the night of the murder, she and Wolf were alone in the house talking about the coal business. Then she didn't know what I meant when I used the words bituminous and anthracite. Whatever they had on the fire that night, it wasn't cold. Uh, you're right about that. Marsha and Wolf were having, well, some kind of a romance. Yeah, okay. So let's say Marsha shot her husband. Let's say Wolf is madly in love with her. Let's say she promises Wolf that she will testify he shot her husband in self-defense. Marsha gets away with murder. 
Wolf gets away with a light sentence or none at all. And then Wolf gets away with a girl. Now, that does make sense. What makes you think this is even possible? Parker, somebody had me beat up last night. I say the prosecution wouldn't have bothered sending fake cops. There's one thing i got to check and check fast. What's that? Those police photos you gave me show that Parakoff was shot by a left-handed shooter. Well, that's one of the prosecution's strongest points. Wolf is left-handed. That doesn't prove that Marsha isn't. Parker, I'm going to go out and see Mrs. Parakoff. And there's only really one thing I, I hope. That she's left-handed? Uh-uh. That she's wearing that same negligee that she had on last night. <laughs> Hello, Marsha. Can I come in? Why, John... Johnny, what happened to your face? Uh, I didn't get down to the beauty parlor today. Oh, you look like you've been fighting. Mm-hmm. Not too well, but wisely. Well, come on in the other room. And, uh, how about throwing another log on the fire? You're a real little firebug, aren't you? You should have lived back in old Nero's time. Whose time? Uh, never mind. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll build the fire if you'll light it. I'd love to. Oh, you're getting a dry one from inside. Last night, you went all the way outside to get one that would burn for a long time. <laughs> hey, you got some paper? Here's some. Well, there we are. Okay, hot point. Here's my lighter. Touch it off. Okay. Here, that'll do it. Come on, sit down. Uh, there's one more thing I'd like you to do for me. What is it? Very simple. Pick up your phone and call the district attorney. Tell him you want to change your story on the murder of your husband. What are you talking about? If you don't, I will. Well, what have I done? Okay, if you want to play games, I'll read you the rules. You know, there's a big advantage to being on my side of investigation. See, fellows in my racket have the benefit of a lot of experience. But murderers, well, almost everyone is inexperienced at that business. One moment they aren't murderers, the next moment they are. Oh, Johnny, please. But now let's take a look at what's on my side. For instance, for one thing, from the empty shells thrown off by an automatic pistol, the experts can get a better picture of a murder scene than they can from the witnesses. Your husband was killed by a gun that was held approximately 18 inches away and directly in front of him, and the bullets entered the right half of his body. That means he was killed by a left-handed shooter. Harlan Wolf is left-handed. You can ask him. He'll tell you. I know that. And I'm right-handed. I just found that out, too. And what more do you need? Not much. Now, Marsha, let's see what you've got going for you. You've got a face and a body and not too much of a brain. But, baby, that's not enough. It's not enough to offset the things that I know. You don't know anything. Oh, okay. So let's make this a guessing game. Let's guess after your husband was shot, you called Wolf. When he got here, you told him you'd given your husband a 38 caliber divorce, right? Then you charged him into taking the rap for you, right? No. And then you told him you'd testify he shot your husband in self-defense, right? Then once you got him in jail, you told the district attorney that Wolf had committed premeditated murder. That he'd been after you to leave your husband and had threatened to shoot him if you didn't, right? Stop it! That's a good idea. Stop it. Eric, he knows. What are we going to do? Keep quiet. We'll have to get rid of him, Eric. Just as soon as we get rid of something else. All right, Dollar. I want Ben Arnold's wallet, and I want it right now. You're welcome to it, Barker. But it might interest you to know that I had its picture taken this morning. Your phony policeman's wallet and everything in it. And copies of the photos are in the mail right now. The insurance company won't have any trouble connecting you with the comedy cops who beat me up last night. Hey, you're bluffing. But that's not all I've got on you, Barker. 
This morning when I was lying in bed, reading the bumps on my head, it suddenly dawned on me that you were the only one that knew where I was going last night. So you must have been the one who had me roughed up. It also does my heart good to see you standing there holding that gun. In your left hand. You shot Park off, and then got out of here while Marsha called Wolf. Told him she'd done it and talked him into taking the rap. Shoot him. Shoot him, Eric. For a lawyer, Barker, how do you like my case? Good, isn't it? What are you waiting for? Shoot him. Kill him, I tell Shut you. Shut up, Marsha. All right, Dollar. Stand still. If you want, I will. Give me that gun. Marsha, look out! Marsha made a rush to grab the gun from Barker. She got between me and the gun, and I dove in behind her. Arms straight out, Ow. picked her up, and she... Marsha went smashing into Barker, and I went on a frantic treasure hunt through that flailing mass of snorting, angry bodies to find the hand that held the gun. Believe me, it was no place for a lady, but Marsha was no lady. I grabbed deep in between them and yanked Barker's gun hand up out of the go-round, and just to make sure the rest was strictly a fist fight, jammed my trigger finger in over his The way the plaster was falling, it was like another fight in the snow. Uh, but this time, Johnny Della came up heads. Instead of tails. Eric! Eric! Come on, Barker, up. Come on, get up. No, no. Down you go. Eric! All right, Marsha. Now be a nice little girl. Pick up the nice little telephone and call the nice little district attorney and invite him out to your nice little house. Expense account, item 11, $12.40. That was lunch for district attorney, during which we agreed that it was, a, but it was the first case we'd ever worked on where the defense was working harder for a conviction than the prosecution. Also, that it was the first case where everybody turned out to be guilty. Defense attorney Eric Barker of murder, his girlfriend Martha Parakoff of being an accessory before and after the fact, and Harlan Wolf of conspiracy to defraud. Oh, no wonder the nation's jails are getting overcrowded. Expense account, item 12. Hotel bill, $28. Expense account, item 13. Flowers for the sale of unlucky Marsha Parakoff, $5. Expense account, item 14. $700. Side trip to Miami, Florida. Purpose? (laughs) to recover from uh, catching 40 winks and miserable cold in Benton, Ohio, snowbank. Expense account total, $1,230.20. Signed, yours, truly, Johnny Dollar. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville. Live life with Luigi and you live a wonderful life of seeing yourself as others see you. Luigi Basco is the little Italian immigrant who loves America even though he's highly puzzled by American ways, American language, Americans themselves. His friends try to explain... His neighbors try to help, but it's usually Luigi who has the last word, who knows what America really is. Luigi's life is paved with laughter, and yours will be too, for the half hour that Life with Luigi fills every Sunday night over most of these CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Okay, I must not have uh, recorded, but I'm going to um, try that again. Uh, this next one is called Murder at a Merry-Go. Murder is a merry-go-round, and it's uh, like the, the killing is uh, at an amusement park or carnival or some such. So we'll see after it's over. Victor, are you here?
Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> can you hear can you hear him now? Uh I uh, no, but then I'm not on the computer. I'm I'm if you got him back, I'm fixing to go back out there. Okay, Victor. We're still live. Okay, you're still yeah. live. Sorry, folks. Uh, it's saying we're still alive. We're having some difficulties over here. And uh, I'm not quite sure what happened there. Are you here? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you haven't been. <laughs> well, we're still live, and and uh, I don't know why. I don't know what happened there, but uh, uh, yeah, I was I was talking my head off to you, and you weren't, <laughs> you weren't responding. So. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of freaky. So. Do we have another title up? Yeah, we have uh, uh, Murder is a Merry-Go-Round. Ah. And it's, and I and I recorded that. I don't know if it went through or not. I mean, I recorded saying that to you. And I don't know if it went through or if you want me to say it again or. Well, sorry, folks. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> the Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar The next half hour has its baggage packed To take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator Johnny Dollar at insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Nutmeg State Casualty and Bonding Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during investigation of series of accidents affecting your policyholder, the Funfair and Weatherly Carnival shows. Or how I went for a spin on a case we might refer to as murder is a merry-go-round. <laughs> Expense account item one, 25 cents. Purchased billboard, theatrical magazine, to check the route of Funfair and Weatherly Carnival shows. Expense account item two, $68. 
air and train fares to Talladega, Alabama. Item three, a dollar ten. Cab fare and what was only a fair imitation of a cab from Talladega Depot to the dusty vacant lot, which had overnight found itself wearing theatrical makeup. Brightly as the hot sun beat down on the midway, it couldn't help the layout of canvas and slats from looking beat up. A perspiring mechanic shot sparks of profanity back at an obstinate motor as he tried to get it to roll the giant hoop of a Ferris wheel. I asked him what he knew about the accident of a week before when a car dropped off the same Ferris wheel, badly injuring three. He was charming. Listen, pretty boy. Don't go getting nosy around here. The Joe in charge of the electric scooter concession was just as sweet. On the subject of how come one of his scooters blew up a few nights back, sending a citizen to the hospital, he just didn't feel like talking. If you ain't a cop, start moving. If you are, where's your warrant? I was just asking the pilot of the giant airplane spin who he thought might have cut the cables the night one of his wallboard gliders took off across the carnival crowd, crashing and busting up a few more customers, when I got a canvasman's version of a sharp answer. A tenth state right behind my ear. Sleepy duties, waking up, huh? Who are you? I thought maybe you'd be sick of asking questions. First, maybe you better answer a few. Uh-uh. Before you get up. Number one, who are you? A pilgrim from Hartford. Never mind the double talk, nice guy. What's your name? My name is Johnny Dollar. But right now, I feel like two cents. What's your big interest in those accidents you were asking questions about? Strictly academic. I'm only representing the insurance company that's paying off on those accidents. Now maybe you'll tell me who you are and where I am. Oh, I thought you guys were smarter. Dollar, I'll let you in on a little secret. Next time you want to find something out on a traveling show, get to the boss first. Asking a lot of questions around a circus or carnival lot is unhealthy. Where is the boss, Miss Pepper? Oh, Louise is in the other end of this trailer. She'll be right out. Ah, okay, you can get up on your feet. Oh, thanks. Uh, I... Oh, you don't mind if I don't stay up on them. I feel more like sitting down. Yeah, go ahead. You still haven't told me who you are. My name's Brennan. Oh, yeah. Shanty Brennan. Yeah, you're the general manager of the show. They told me all about you. Louisa Pepper's right arm and strong arm. How long will she be? Yeah, she's getting dressed. Just finished taking a nap. We drove all night to get here. How about having a blast with me while you're waiting? No, thanks. I haven't enjoyed a noon bottle since I was two. But don't let me stop you. Thanks. Ah. Oh. You sure you won't have one? I'm sure. Brands, the insurance company's been checking up on your show. The police chiefs in the last ten towns you've played say it's a clean one. Uh, we haven't got a pickpocket or a grifter on the lot. But plenty of trouble, huh, during those past ten stops? At least once a night somebody's got hurt. But never any of... Always one or two of the townies, the citizens. Last night, a car on the whip cut loose. That sent four to the hospital. Uh-huh. Four more insurance claims for nutmeg state casualty and bonding, huh? Yeah. And one more town we won't be able to play again for a couple of years. It's a wonder we didn't travel out of that town last night by rail, tarred and feathered. For ten straight nights now, you've had at least one big accident every night. What's your guess, Brennan? 
Has fate taken a steady job on your show, or is somebody out to get you? Somebody's out to get us. Okay, well, do you have any idea? Oh. Oh. Why didn't you tell me we were entertaining a gentleman, Shanty? I'd have put on some more clothes. It would have taken a lot more clothes to cover all there was of Louisa Pepper. She looked like an aging Cupid doll, but even in a carnival, she was no prize. I didn't like the look in her eye. It looked much too friendly. So right away, I decided to change the unspoken subject. Uh, Miss Pepper, I'm here on business insurance. Sorry, we're not buying any. And I'm not selling any. The way things have been going, the insurance company I represent would probably like to buy some of yours back. Oh? Yeah. I'm going to not make state casualty. Investigating the accidents. Huh. Hope you find out more than we've been able to, and fast, before we go broke. The word's traveling one town ahead of us. They got us taken for a dangerous midway. Have you been using police protection? Twenty extra cops a night at ten dollars a cop. So, night before last, a guy winds up with a hammer to try and ring the bell and win a cigar. The top of the hammer flies off and almost brains a cop. <laughs> Around this show, the police need protection. I see what you mean. How are you fixed for people who don't like you? We got money to choose from? Dollar, we treat our help fair and square. We know them all and trust them all. Fire anybody lately? Nobody. The only ones who left were floaters. But none of them had a beef. Okay, Miss Pepper. Now think back. In all your life, who do you know who'd most like to see you have a real bad time? Only one guy. And he's not around. Dead? As good as. He's in jail. Has been for the last eight and a half years. That's a long time. How long did he go up for? Ten years. Uh, what are you thinking, Dollar? I'm thinking that with time off for good behavior, maybe he's not in jail. Not in jail? Shanty, he's got to be in jail. He's got to be, I tell you. You told me you were... All right, right, break it up, Louisa. If Carter Lacey had a voice as sharp as yours, he could saw his way out of jail. Okay, Dollar, you made a guess. How about seeing how good it is? Sure. I'll find out if your bogeyman is still in jail, uh, but I didn't catch that name. Lacey. Carter Lacey. And where has he been in the pokey? Massachusetts State Prison. At Charleston. Well, what did he go up for? What's that to you? Cut it, Louisa. Dollar, we sent Carter Lacey to jail for attempted murder. He tried to kill Louisa's niece, Myrtle. Is she around? He's running the snake show on the midway. Dollar, how soon can you check whether Carter got out? As soon as I can make a telephone call. But, Shanny, before I do, I'd like to elaborate on that guess I made. Now I'd not only guess that Carter Lacey is out of jail, but I'd also guess that he's been out a little over ten days. Expense account, item four, three dollars. Telephone call to Massachusetts State Prison, confirming both of my guesses. Carter Lacey had checked out of the Bay State's Hotel Greystone for bad boys two weeks previously. Item five, $32. Telephone calls to various hotels in the last ten towns the Funfair and Weatherly Carnival shows have played. Item six, ten cents. Two nickels. Spent calling two hotels right here in Talladega. Then I dropped one more nickel in the telephone. Got the lucky number? Yes, sir. We do have a Mr. Carter Lacey registered. Room 312, shall I stop? And hit the jackpot. Spencer count item seven, 65 cents. Cab fare to Sunshine Hotel. Tip the driver, one dollar. From the lobby, I call room 312. He invited me up. I invited him down. I knew I'd feel better talking to Carter Lacey with a lot of people around. 
They'd make nice witnesses if he suddenly got homesick for prison life and uh, used me as his ticket back. I waited in the coffee shop. The waitress brought me a cup of coffee, and uh, I went to work refereeing a one-sided bout between the strong Java and the weak cream. Hello. Dollar? All right. Sit down. Thanks. Uh, you're Carter Lacey, huh? Have some coffee? No, thanks. It keeps me awake nights. How about your conscience? Having the same trouble with that? My conscience deserves an eight-and-a-half-year rest. But it can't start its vacation until I even up a few scores. Busting up carnivals. <laughs> Child's play. Look, Dollar, over the phone you told me you're an insurance investigator. You can save your company a lot of money. How? Call them up and tell them not to insure the lives of three people. Because any minute now, two of them are going to be dead. Mm, uh, Louisa Pepper, Anise Myrtle, and uh, Shanty Brennan. Yeah, Dollar. I'm going to kill two of those people. The other one's still my friend is going to help me do it. In case you don't know your law, Dollar, don't bother calling the cop. I can't be held for making a threat unless I put it in writing. Well, Lacey, I don't know what your beef is against the people running that carnival, but those accidents have been hurting a lot of innocent bystanders. Dollar, you're talking to a guy who really knows what it means. Getting hurt as an innocent bystander. <laughs> Expense account, item eight, $25. Retainer to local detective agency hiring shadow for Mr. Carter Lacey. Explanation, an ounce of crime prevention is worth a ton of trials. Item nine, $1.20. Cab fare back for the evening's festivities at the Fun Fair and Weatherly Carnival, which was rapidly becoming more and more of a thrill show. <laughs> Expense account, item 10, 30 cents. Down payment on ulcer, eating supper at what the carny people call a grease joint. I made my way among the trailers that were lined up behind the midway, and as I looked for the one housing Louisa Pepper's snake-charming niece, Myrtle, the burning sensation around my heart wasn't all caused by the hot dogs I'd just eaten. I've got a message from Carter Lacey. What did you say? I said I've got a message from Carter Lacey. For you and uh, your Aunt Louisa, Shanty Brennan. You're the only one I haven't met yet, so I thought I'd deliver it to you first. Where is he? In town. Got any snakes in the trailer? No, of course not. All right, then. How about inviting me in? Are you the insurance guy they told me about? Yeah, that's right. Okay, come in. What did Lacey say? He said that he's going to kill two of the three of you. Which two? Didn't he say? No, he didn't. He just said that two of you are going to get it. And that his one friend among you, the remaining one, is going to help him do it. He'll do it. He hates us. I know he'll kill it. You say Louisa and Shani don't know yet? No, they don't. You're the first to know. Well, then wait here. I'll run and tell them. I'll stop back here before I go into the tent to do my next show. Grab yourself a drink. I'll be right back. But she wasn't right back, and it's just as well she wasn't. She might have interrupted me while taking a sightseeing trip through the drawers in the trailer's built-in bureau. The piles of silky nothings that give gals that certain something didn't tell me anything I hadn't known about women before. But a little black book stashed among them did. I needn't have rushed my search, though, because Myrtle Pepper was still gone after ten minutes. That's about the time I headed back to her Aunt Louise's trailer, pulled open the door, and walked in. 
scared me, Della, barging in like that. Mr. Duck, I told you I'd be right back. Did Myrtle here deliver Mr. Lacey's little love letters? Yes, the fool. He, he always was a fool. He can't kill us. You mean it's against the law? I mean, I mean, I mean, it's impossible, that's all. Look, Miss Pepper, you and your niece here are both plenty scared. While you're out shaking those stanches you got working up on the midway. Myrtle, have you told Shanny about Lacey's threat? Yeah, I, I met him on the way over here. Asked him if he'd feed my snakes before showtime. They're dangerous to work with if they're hungry. Yeah, I told him. He said he'd join us here. Well, what did he say when you told him? He said if Lacey had one of us helping him, then the three of us had better stick together so we could at least watch each other. Smart man. He had a good idea. I see the three of you had better stick close to each other, beginning right now. Come on. Where are we going? Over to the snake tent. And when we get there, Myrtle, you'll be the only one of us who'll be among friends. The three of us left Louise's trailer. We walked past the back of the shooting gallery concession right in the front of it. And along the back of the line of canvas shanties. We stopped at one. Myrtle pulled back the canvas flap, and I stepped in ready for anything. With the ladies not far behind me, I edged slowly over to the square red board fence set up in the center of the tent. There were danger signs splashed in white paint along the outside walls of the pit. I clenched my teeth and looked down to the wire mesh top at a slithering tangle of writhing, angry reptiles. <coughs> and there, lying among them with a vicious red welt splashing his forehead, was Shanty Brennan. He was feeding the snakes all right. <laughs> In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, here is some news. 30 minutes of new thrills will be added to CBS' 10 great Sunday night entertainments this coming Sunday. At 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you formerly heard Spike Jones, CBS will bring you screen star John Lund in an adventure-packed tale of a ship filled with terror and horror. This story, A Shipment of Mute Fate, starring John Lund, is the first of three special broadcasts from CBS' famous Escape series. It will be heard over most of these stations immediately preceding a familiar show which brings you a different kind of escape, the Jack Benny Show. And now, back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Just seen a murder mystery where the actors have been hissing instead of the audience. The lead character in that snake pit wasn't going to win any Academy Award. The scene of the crime was no place for a man, let alone a woman, so I herded Annie Louisa and her niece Myrtle out of the tent and back into the trailer. Oh, poor Shetty. Oh, horrible. Yes, I was wrong, Dollar, when I said Carter Lacey couldn't do it. Oh, it's going to happen to us. According to what uh, Lacey told me, Myrtle, what's supposed to happen is only going to happen to one of you. What do you mean? Well, he claims that one of you is in this with him, and that one knows she's fake. This may turn out to be an acting contest between you two. What's that crack supposed to mean? Well, the one who's safe wouldn't want anybody to know she feels safe, huh? Oh. I wish I had learned to cry. Louisa, you don't think it's me. Well, I know it ain't me. Oh, ladies, ladies, how about observing a moment of silence in memory of the deceased? Well, I give you a few instructions. Okay. Have you got a gun in here, Louisa? Yes, and a license to carry it. Good. Where is it? The gun, not the license. I'll give it to you. Well, if you don't, people might get to thinking that you're Carter Lacey's girlfriend and accomplice. 
Anyway, I don't want the gun to take with me. I want to leave it here. Where is it? In that drawer right over there. Which end of the drawer? What's the matter with you, blind? You'll see it. Uh, I'm not turning my back on you. Which end? You'd make a lousy trapeze out of Dollar. You don't take any chances. This end, toward me. Thanks. keys to the car hitched to the front of this land yacht. What are they for, Donald? Just another chance I'm not taking. With those keys in my pocket, this trailer won't be joyriding anybody off into the night. Where are they? I'll get them for you. Wait a minute, Myrtle. How come you know where Louisa's keys were? Yeah, Myrtle. How come? I think Well, they're laying right there in plain sight. Oh. Thanks. Now I'm going out and call the police. Louisa, I want you to get into that chair down at the other end of the trailer. Okay, General. You've got the gun. And you, Myrtle, get on that bunk down at the other end. I don't understand all this. And now, ladies, while I'm gone, I don't want one of you gals to be knocking off the other. But on the other hand, I can't leave you here without protection. So I'm leaving the gun right here on this table in the middle of the trailer. And if uh, Carter Lacey comes knocking at your door, you can have yourselves a race for the gun. Expense account item 11, five cents. Telephone call to the local police. Plus another nickel spent calling a taxi. The cops arrived in four minutes, cab in 15. Its driver had no siren to take him through the traffic lights. Item 12, a dollar ten. Cab fare on an exceedingly slow and torturous trip to the Sunshine Hotel. A tip to his kind of a driver, a nickel. I went up to the third floor and headed down the hall to Carter Lacey's room, 312. I rapped for an entrance, but all that came back was an echo. The lock on the door was the soft touch type known to the trade as the burglar's friend. So I went in. Stars fell in Alabama? Stiffs fell in Alabama tonight. Hello, operator. Operator, this is an emergency call. Let me have the telegraph police, will you? Hello? Police department? This is the same guy who just called you from the carnival to report a murder. Yeah. Well, you can send in the second team. I've got another one for you over here at the Sunshine Hotel. Room 312. A party's just been strangled. Yes, I'm sure. Lots of bruises and deep-set fingernail marks on the throat. Sure I know who it is. The name of the deceased is Myrtle Pepper. Myrtle Pepper certainly had been a fast worker. She not only had beat me down to the hotel, she'd managed to get herself killed in the bargain. I dusted the room for information, which was obviously more than the floor made had done for dirt, and came up with a kind of an eye-opener you don't drink. A pint-sized surprise in the form of some old newspaper clippings and Carter Lacey's prison release form. And what let him out let me in on something. I got out of the room into the elevator, and when I hit the lobby wondering where to start looking for him, I found him sitting there looking at me. Hi. What do you want to talk, Lacey? I don't want to. But if you want to try and make me, what's the matter with right here? Okay. 
I supplied you with an alibi today. I don't see him in the lobby. Detective? He had stomach trouble. He got kicked in it. You can reach him at the city hospital. You know, in prison, I was a trustee. I get out, nobody trusts me. Oh, with that forecast you gave me this morning, what else? The forecast? Yeah. You predicted that you'll kill two people. Well, tonight the two people are dead. Shanty out at the carnival, and now Myrtle up in your room. What does that make you? A good forecaster. Or the killer, maybe? <laughs> Thanks for the maybe. Look, Dollar, I came to this town to take care of something. I took care of it. If you want to yell, cop, go ahead. From now on, nothing bothers me. Well, then stop chewing your nails. You told me this morning that one of those three people was working with you. There's only one left. And suddenly, Lacey, I don't believe your story. Suddenly, I don't care. Shanty Brennan lied to me this morning. He said that you went to prison on a charge of attempted murder. Your prison release papers say you went up for grand larceny. You see what happens to bad little boys that tell lies? I'm not through yet. I fished a bank book out of Myrtle Pepper's trailer, a three-way joint account. Myrtle, Shanty, and Louisa. The first deposit, $60,000. The date, the same year you were thrown into the can for stealing $60,000. To me, that spells a three-way split for them and a frame for you. Also, to you, it spells a motive for hating all three of them. So I lied to you. What are you going to do, wash my mouth out with soap? From now on, I don't need any answers from you, including smart ones. But look, you'd better stick around. If the cops don't pick you up for murder, maybe the hotel will want to press charges against you for having an extra unregistered person occupying your room. Johnny Dollar. Oh, wait a minute. Miss Carter, they arrested him? Tell me, did he escape? He's at the hotel, and the cops are on their way down there right now. I hope he's more talkative with them than he was with me. You talked to him? Yeah, I had a long, one-sided conversation with him. There's one thing I still can't quite figure out. Whether he really intended to kill Shanty and Myrtle or not. Myrtle? No. Yeah, strangled. Myrtle. Poor little angel. Of course he meant to kill him. He hated He hated us all. Well, you can hardly blame a fellow for being annoyed, framed on a grand larceny chap by three old chums. But you've got the wrong idea, Louisa. What I meant was, did he ever really intend to kill him himself? Or did he just intend to set off the greatest chain reaction since the atom bomb and just sit back and watch the three of you try to beat each other to it? Well, that's crazy talk. Yeah, like a fox, maybe. He made his threat to me, knowing I'd carry it back to you. I say you, because you're the only one left. You see, he set himself up as a patsy. He'd been framed by you once before. To me, it looks like Carter Lacey learned a few things about wrong people during that eight-year stretch. Namely, that they never trust each other. You're absolutely nuts, Dollar. I think you'd better get out of here. Go peddle your insurance. The cops will take care of Mr. Lacey. I don't think they will, Louisa. Why not? Myrtle was strangled. That's the kind of murder a man would commit. Well? But there was a set of deep fingernail marks on her throat, and Carter Lacey bites his nails. So maybe you'd better get yourself a manicure before the police arrive. Thanks for the advice. Stand right there, Dollar. This time I got the gun. 
Solved everything, Louisa. Carter! This is a standoff, Louisa. Point that thing someplace else before I point mine up your snoot. Okay, Dollar, get out. What's the matter with you, Lacey? Are you cracking up? Well, your plan was going along fine. First, Myrtle tossed Shanny to her snakes. Then Louisa took care of Myrtle. There's only one left, and the state will take care of her for you. That's not enough. There's one satisfaction I haven't enjoyed so far. That's hearing one of these pigs squeal. Carter, we can still split the money in the show and, and get out of here? The only one that's going to get out of here is Dollar. Beat it. I beat it, all right. I was the only one in the trailer without a gun. I plunged into the darkness looking for something and came up with a tent rope, dashed back to the trailer door and lashed it onto the guide rail. I didn't want those gun-happy birds flying the coop. Just then, the season opened. I didn't know who was going to come out the worst in there, the hunter or the hunted. The only key I had to the situation was the key to the car, the one I'd picked up earlier in the day. The car churned the trailer to the carnival bank lot and out to the highway. When I hit the cement, I started spinning the rubber. Just as we hit the streets of the sleeping sea, things woke up. Whoever was left back there snapped a shot at me through the trailer's front window. The second shot was my cue to try to ruin their aim by playing rockabye trailer, swinging the car from one side of the street to the other. Just as the not-so-sharp shooter made another try, I picked up just what I was looking for. A game of tag with a police patrol car. Expense accounts, item 13, 15 cents, bicarbonate of soda. Those midway hot dogs I'd had for supper were no thoroughbreds. Item 14, $35, cigars for night shifts, Talladega police, for whom I had started things smoking. Item 15, $3, hotel bill. Oh, but uh, never let it be said that I ever turned in a measly $3 hotel bill for myself. This was to check out of the Sunshine Hotel, the man who had checked out in the trailer at the hands of Louisa Pepper. Louisa Pepper, the only one who was a good bet to catch up with Brennan, who had been murdered by Myrtle. And Myrtle, who had been loused up by Louisa. And Carter, whom she had also carted out of this world, proving that when you start any kind of chain reaction, you should be careful, because you're never going to be sure where it's going to stop. Express account total? What? Only $692.18. I must be slipping. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. music is moving. Yes, Spike Jones, formerly heard on CBS on Sunday, is already unpacking his famous collection of flit guns, dishpans, and other instruments, ready for tomorrow night's premiere broadcast as a CBS Saturday star. Hear the Spike Jones show on most of these same stations tomorrow night at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time when it joins Vaughn Monroe, Gene Autry, Gangbusters, and Sing It Again as a regular Saturday night CBS feature. Thank <laughs> you.
in again next week when CBS brings you yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd, with music by Mark Warner. Well, we got one more. You want to do that one, or you want to go to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> to, well, I to, did tell you I was sleeping. <laughs> well, you did. You should have texted me and said, "I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to bed. You can get rid of the rest of the show if you want to." <laughs> Uh, no, I don't know what happened with I don't know what happened there. I don't know how we uh I guess my computer froze and kicked me out. I don't know, but I was talking away. <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying now. Well, I was telling you the name of the, the next show. I was doing that, but I was also just uh fooling around like I usually do. Uh mm-hmm. but uh did I say that? Would I do anything like that? Just <laughs> Lord, no, no, uh-uh. not, not this little Dixie prima donna. No, uh, but we got one more, uh, unless you want to stop it here. No, well, we got one, it's called Stolen Portrait. And Johnny, he almost gets thrown out of an airplane. I'm sorry, which one? Stolen Portrait. No. Yes, that's what it is, dear. Uh, no, I've got slow boat from China and the Lorelei matter. Uh, I, I got rid of those out of the list. It shouldn't be. I don't know where you. But. So I guess we have to end it there then. <laughs> Oh, oh, wait a minute. We got two. We got two more instead of we got uh, the stolen, stolen portrait, and then um, the case of the one hundred thousand dollar legs. Well, I guess we'll have to save those for another time. Those are the ones in my folder, and they're the ones in my playlist. Well, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't see how you're getting di- different ones. Yeah, that's weird. Um, but uh, I got to contact Dropbox about that. We've got to um, anyway. End it got, here, folks. <laughs> we, yeah, because I have to confess, I'm getting a little bit tired. <laughs> today for some reason oh so you're the one falling asleep <laughs> oh, you caught me i blaming it on you <laughs> well apparently Anna- Annabelle was blaming it on you too because she said you fell asleep she was cracking up <laughs> she did not she did too did she, she? yeah she told me you fell asleep <laughs> and we were sitting there laughing about it <laughs> okay I'll have to have a word with her about that. But if I uh, if I knew what to do when the situation arose, uh, I could let you sleep and just go ahead and finish it out. <laughs> oh well. But I, I don't know. Time. I don't know if I just hit enter on the next show coming up and it starts recording, or if I have to push record or 
what what I have to do. Okay. And you're still not telling me. <laughs> well, I can't really tell you over the air. Because uh, we are still alive. Oh, I thought we went dead. <laughs> no. So well, everybody's been listening to our conversation, dear. So it's a good thing I wasn't talking about my sexual fantasies and stuff like that. <laughs> well, that's not the place for this show. Thank you. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're just messing around. <laughs> but uh, I think we are going to stop today and um, see you next week with something. I don't Bye-bye, know. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye, y'all. <laughs>